Okay, we're going to let the children be dismissed <clears throat> for junior church. I have a little frog in my throat. I'm glad he's not a big one. Uh, I want you to turn to the book of uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> and what I want to do is ask you to stand with me this morning for the reading of God's Word. I, I read this in the book of Ezra this week again where you know, it says that Ezra began to read from the scrolls and the people stood together. So if you would stand with me this morning as we read from the Word of God just to honor God's truth, I would appreciate that. Verse 14, Philippians chapter 4. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I was sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your accounts. I have received full payment and so much more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent to me. They are a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And then this doxology to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, would you bless your word to our hearts this morning. Open our eyes, God, to what it is to be joyfully generous as your people. And God, I thank you that I stand before a church that by and large is generous. God, let us keep doing what we have done. And as Paul said in the book of Ephesians, do so more and more. Let us be encouraged in the good works that you have called us to do. By the Spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to spend a few moments looking at this powerful passage of Scripture. The verse again in this series that I'm focusing our attention on is verse 19. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Alright, this is a verse that I am convinced again is often misquoted or, if you will, misapplied. I mean, they get the words right. But the application of it, the understanding of what this promise really is about is often, I believe, misunderstood. All right, I think it's treated in kind of a cavalier, cliche kind of way that kind of takes it out of its original setting and causes it to say things that it wasn't intended to say. So I want to put the verse back in the setting and it's almost like taking a diamond off of a black piece of velvet, putting it in a gold or silver setting, and its brilliance begins to become clearer because of that new setting. And sometimes I think what we have to do is take the gems that are found in the Bible, put them into a biblical setting, and when we do that, the truth is, is kind of put through a megaphone. It becomes louder, it's clarified and magnified. Okay, so that's what I desire to do with you this morning. Okay, the context and setting broadly of the book of Philippians, okay? We know this. We know Paul is writing a thank you note. If you go back to verse 10 of chapter 4, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have revived your concern for me. And we talked about these verses in relationship to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me a few weeks ago. We return 
to deal with. My God shall supply all your needs. So it's a, as a letter, it's an expression of gratitude in which he deals with specific details. But he has a primary thrust, and that's what he comes to in verse 10 of chapter 4. Okay, he picks up again on that discussion of gratitude in verse 14. So it's a thank you note from Paul. Paul is writing to share the impact of their generosity on his life. Their generosity personally, their concern and love for him, their generosity in terms of monetary support. Okay, both have meant an awful lot to Paul. You can go back to chapter 2 and find that the personal support came through individuals who were sent. Timothy, Epaphroditus, sent to do what? To serve Paul. So it wasn't simply monetary, it was also a personal concern that they had for him. Paul's saying, I thank you for that. It has greatly impacted my life and my work. And he also writes to share in this a promise that is for a very specific type of believer. Okay, and what we're going to see is verse 19 is a promise. My God will meet your needs. Okay, that's a promise that Paul lays out. Okay, and I think it's the the aim of this discussion on Paul's part is to get to this point of promise that is for a specific kind of believer. And what I want to challenge you to do this morning is move towards being that kind of believer who can live with this promise over their life. My God will meet your needs. Okay, that's the the aim. So to get there, I want to look at four simple observations from the text, and then we'll just quickly unpack the promise. Okay, four observations from verse 10 and verse 14. Okay, generosity, and I think that's the theme, writing a letter saying, thank you for your generous gift that has amply supplied me. I am, Paul says, I, I am full to the fullest. That's the idea of the Greek here. Okay, I am abundantly full. So what, what is Paul saying? First of all, he's saying this, the generosity of Christians brings joy into the lives of those who experience that generosity. So one of the first truths that we just need to get a hold of is that God wants us to have the blessing of encouraging each other through a ministry of generosity. Okay, last Sunday morning, this church was incredibly generous to Usha and Prakash and the ministry of Asian Partners. $2,200 were collected in the love offering for them. Okay, that blew my mind. Made me grateful for my church family. Gave me joy. And it was a privilege to be able to say to them, here's a love gift that was collected for you as you do the work that God has called you to do. What, a, what, a, what an encouragement. And Paul's writing, in, in, in a sense, very simply saying, uh, your gifts have produced revival in my heart. They've breathed life into me. Verse 10, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Verse 14, it was good of you to share with me in my troubles. Okay, it was a, it was a healthy response. It brought life. And I think of that, of Paul sitting in prison, bearing a burden. And, and, and he can say, not many reached out. Which is a fascinating statement because it leads us to the, to the second thought in this text. Generosity brings joy to those that share it. But true Abundant generosity is a rare trait, isn't it? We usually have to talk ourselves into being generous. Okay, talk ourselves into giving to meet the needs that are around us. And Paul is looking at this church and he's able to say in verse 15 something that that is at once heartbreaking and kind of amazing. He says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not One church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you 
only. That is an amazing statement to me. Paul can put that down in writing because it's true. That this, this attribute, this quality of having a generous, joyful heart is something that is difficult for us to come by. It's difficult for us to, to cultivate. I wonder if you've ever been through the experience of being un- or underappreciated. It doesn't feel good. It's discouraging. It's, if you will, a downer. Generosity shows love. And Paul had experienced a shortfall of that. But here's what's fascinating to me. For Paul, it didn't produce bitterness in his life. It was part of what it is to work in a world where people are fallen. To live in the context of church where people are fallen, where we're broken, where we have weaknesses and shortcomings. Paul knew that. But in the midst of that struggle that he's experiencing, what does he do? He points to the church in Philippi and says, I thank God because you stood up to the test. And you met the needs that were present. You did the rare thing. And you have to ask this question to yourself. Why is generosity so rare in a culture we, we're not waiting for our next meal? I think what Marie said is very powerful. That's not the world we live in. And yet generosity, my experience has been, is often rarer in the culture where I live than it is in third world countries. My travels in third world countries have quite simply been humiliating. Why? Because when you have people in absolute poverty giving out of their poverty in a way that you cannot refuse it, you try to and then you realize that I, I will shame them if I don't receive the blessing that they're trying to give and you kind of, no, no, no. And Victor John would often say, he often says to me when we're overseas, he's like, Tim, you have to take it. It's something that brings joy to their heart. And when you watch that rare deep-hearted generosity. It is an amazing and encouraging thing. The Apostle Paul experienced a shortfall of it, but he also had people in his life that God was pouring into him a generous support and encouragement. In verse 16, it's fascinating because he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. At least twice. The church in Philippi, after Paul left, sent aid, financial support, to be sure that his needs would be met. You might say to me, all right, what's fascinating about that? Okay, here's what's fascinating about that. The city of Thessalonica was 95 miles from the city of Philippi on a road called the Ignatian Way, one of the Roman roads where the Caesars would travel. 95 miles. You know what I started thinking? It's an hour and a half. Right? How long is it in the ancient world? Four to five days. Paul can write to them and say, you know what? I was states away, literally, by comparison. And you sent aid, almost like in California, if you think about it, in terms of travel. And you, you still, even, that's why he said, even when I was there, you took care of me. And that is what is so encouraging to Paul's heart, that even though this generosity would be costly, and even though it is rare, it is what they did. We have a tendency, I believe, to be preoccupied, to be busy, to be selfish, and to be tight-fisted with our resources. You know what God wants us to do? God wants us to be people that hold His resources in an open hand. What do we often do? We're often like our children, aren't we? mine okay we look at it as if, it, as if it's mine and we protect it as if it's mine and we tell our kids stop saying that 
Okay. That's what we do. And what is Paul saying? He's saying the church in Philippi had blessed him and encouraged the ministry of the gospel of Christ because they were open-handed in their possessions. And what does open-handedness do? Open-handedness does this. It means that I don't cling to it as if it is the source of my happiness, the guarantee of my happiness. It's not. It's here today and gone tomorrow. When I hold it in open hand, what am I saying? I'm saying, God, it, it, it's not ultimately mine. It is all from you. And so I hold it in a way that says, God, if you desire by the wind of your spirit to blow this provision into another area of ministry to help someone else to be generous, I'm available. And I make that gift, that distribution available to you. So it is a rare trait. But Paul goes on to encourage their giving. Even though he's abundantly phony saying, you know what? I have enough. Everything's fine. Verse 17, he presses on. He says, I'm writing this not to say that I'm looking for more. Not, hey, you know that gift of $1,000 you gave me made me happy. And $5,000 would make me really happy. Okay, he, he's not kind of winding them up and saying, you know, I'm going to wind these people up and I'll get more out of them. No, I think it's totally appropriate for ministries and for individuals who have experienced need to come to a place where they send the check back to someone and say, you know what? God's met my need. I had that happen recently with someone where they, they, they gave something back, heard of them giving something back, and I thought, how cool is that? That someone can say, you know what, no, I'm fine. Thank you so much. Go find someone else that you can be a blessing to. Okay, what a, what a neat uh, thing is present there. But the question is this, why does Paul get so wound up with joy about their generosity? At one level, it met his needs. Yes. But he's not living in no palace. He's in a jail as he writes this letter. So he's not looking for great riches and a nicer car and a nicer bike and nicer... That's not what he's saying. There's something else that's driving him forward. And I think it is very simply this in verse 17. He says, I am not looking for a gift. I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Which is to do what? It's to take the eyes of the Philippian believers that are looking at Paul. And to say, Paul, or Paul saying to the Philippian believers, lift up your eyes. See where your true reward is. Because this is what generosity does, doesn't it? When you are generous, it breaks the grip or bondage of materialism. And so as Paul writes to these people, I think he's writing with the attention of trying to help them to break the bondage of finding joy in things. Things fade. Your capacity to enjoy things fades. It decreases over time. Paul's trying to tie them to a greater truth that is eternal in consequence, that Peter will later say is unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, what a perspective. So Paul writes and he says, I want what might be credited to your account. I am looking for a deposit in your account as you give out of your account. And he looks heavenward. Okay, because what is he talking about? He's talking about the same kinds of things that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, about laying up our treasures in heaven. In the Old Testament, Solomon said it this way. He said, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Lends to the Lord. He, the Lord, will repay him. You understand what I believe that means at the end of this discussion. Jesus said it this way. He said, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Randy Alcorn summarizes that statement by saying this, you can't take it with you, 
I did a funeral yesterday for a, a gentleman whose daughter-in-law comes to our church, Brindley. Nice man, awesome guy, well-loved. What did he take with him of what he accumulated? Nothing. Nothing. He used to sing a song when I was a kid. It said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What is Paul doing here? He's not begging for more, but he is encouraging their generosity, encouraging them to do it more and more. Why? He wants what they're giving to be put to their credit in the future. So Jesus can say to his disciples, be free with with your possessions. Give to those that have need, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will, as you darken the door of death, you will be a person, a man, a woman, or a young person who looks forward because generosity transformed your life. And you can't wait to get to heaven and see the impact of that generosity that was bestowed sacrificially upon others. Verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and even more. And when I read this, I'm going to tell you, in the original language, it means I have received fullness and greater fullness. But the idea of even more in the New International Version translation captures my heart. Ask yourself this question. What is it that really sustained and encouraged the Apostle Paul in prison? Was it money? Or was it the people that gave it? Think about that. I am, I am full to the full and even more. Yes, the gifts that you gave spoke about your heart and the generosity that you displayed me, <clears throat> the time that you took to bless me in that way, sending a gift 95, mile, 90, 95 miles an hour. It's a fast gift, okay? 95 miles. Blessed me. Why? You still did it. I mean, I understand when I went from, from Philippi to a local town in Macedonia in the same region, but I, when I was well out of the area, you still. And this is what Paul's saying. I received a lot. I, my needs are met. No more. I'm fine. But even more. Folks, understand this. The reach of generosity is so much greater than mere dollars. The mere monetary blessings. Okay, it is the heart that goes behind giving. And I believe that's what it means when it says God will reward you. I don't expect that when I get to heaven that God's going to give me back green dollar bills. Okay, they won't have any value there. I won't have any needs there. So what does it mean? It means that there will be the pleasure of entering into heaven realizing that I, that you invested in something that really matters. What do we tend to do? I tend to get caught up in the details of this life and lose my focus. And what does God have to do? He has to hit me upside the head regularly and say, get your eye on the ball. All right, get back in the game of this life for the glory of God. And so Paul writes, I think, to say something like this. God honors generosity. That generosity is rare, but when it is practiced, it brings deep joy to those that serve God and love Him. And I think that's also true when it's passed on between one another within the body of Christ. So what is Paul saying? I think the last thought is something like this. God honors generosity because generosity honors God. 
I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. This statement is amazing. He says, those gifts that you sent are a fragrant offering. Right? Does that mean that Paul took the box of money that they sent? Old musty money in a money bag? Is that what? He said, man, it smells so good. <laughs> he said, okay, that's weird. What is he saying? They are a <clears throat> fragrant offering acceptable to God. Pleasing. What does that mean? It means that when we as Christians are generous, a smile comes to the face of God. Okay, like every parent, you remember that one time when your kids were generous and free with each other? And they shared something. You, you called your mate on the phone and said, you're never going to believe what just happened. And you're not disappointed. You're happy. Why? Because it is rare, but it is such a blessing, and it honors God. And when, 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 when parents see their children free in the use of their material possessions with one another, the parent stands back and has a smile on their face. When they see them arguing over the bathroom, who is the hairdryer, who took my hairspray, where are my clothes, it, it just relaxes you, doesn't it? It's just it's like peace like a river, right? No, it's, it's antagonizing. It, 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 it's troubling. It's disturbing. Why? Why are my kids doing this? And then when they get along and share it, in your heart, it's just joy. And I don't know if you ever think about this much. God loves to see His people generous to each other. It is an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Picture Old Testament. Sacrifices in the Old Testament were at least this. They were costly, expensive, sacrificial, fully given. And when they were consumed on the altar... Something rose up to heaven. And it wasn't that God literally smelled it. It was the fact that this rising up of smoke and aroma brought pleasure to God. Why? He saw His people generously worshiping Him. In the New Testament, how does it look? It looks like people sending a bag of coins to the Apostle Paul and Father in heaven watching as that gift travels the Ignatian way, knowing where it's going. Knowing that when it gets to Paul, it's going to bring joy to him, not because of the money, but because they thought of him. And that, that's the, the abundant joy of the Christian life in terms of generosity, in terms of dealing with resources that we deal with all the time. Money is part of our life. We cannot get away from that. Money is part of running the church. We have to talk about it. Okay, but may we be people who, as we look at our resources, are driven by a heart of generosity, who desire to offer up sacrifices through giving to others, which is actually, the Bible says, giving to God. That's why Jesus could say, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, you did it to who? You did it to me. Folks, that's what I believe it means. That when we get to heaven, he, it will be credited to our account. There will be, from God, some type of appreciation that will overwhelm the heart of the generous. And let me give this as a qualifier. In our offering last week, there were big bills and there were very small bills. And God is pleased with each. I think of the story of the widow with the two mites. Because as I talk about generosity, I know what some people think. Okay? Some people think I have meager resources. Therefore, if one person who has a higher income than me gives more than me, then they were more generous than I. Jesus desires to shatter that picture because it is a lie. 
that will frustrate your generosity to God. He takes his disciples on the week of his greatest sacrifice, his greatest generosity. He takes his disciples into the temple and they sit there and watch people putting money into the offering, which is absolute, absolutely contrary to the rest of the teaching of Scripture. Right? Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? That's the biblical principle. Jesus takes his disciples in and says, let's watch this. And people are putting in all different size gifts. And a woman walks up with two copper coins. She drops them in. And as she begins to walk away, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, did you see that? The answer is, yeah, but it didn't register. It didn't register. Why? Because they were amazed by the sound, and this is the way it was set up in the temple precinct, by the sound of that large bag of coins dropping in and then echoing out this funnel megaphone where people would put their gifts in. And the disciples are just like you and I. They were unduly impressed by the Lord's gifts. And Jesus stops him and says, that woman who put in two copper coins gave everything she had. And what does he do? He separates her gift from all the rest. And folks, that's why I believe that generosity cannot be measured by dollar amounts. Okay, it's measured by the level of love and sacrifice. It's, level, it's measured by the motive that prompts the giving that we do. May God, and here's what I would love to see God do. I would love to see God prompt within us a degree of generosity as a church family towards the needs that come up on our radar or on our screen as a church family. That he would prompt within us joyful generosity that would cause the promise of this text to become true. Because the context is this. People had sacrificed had given, had met the needs of Paul. It rose as a fragrant aroma, pleasing to God. It was an acceptable sacrifice. And following that, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, gives a promise that many of us quote. Well, God will meet all our needs, right? That's what he promises. Can I put this promise in a context real quickly for you? God blesses the generous. Okay, I didn't say degenerous, okay? I said God blesses the generous, okay? I misheard myself. God blesses the generous. And what does Paul say? My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now you can run out of here and say, you know what? I can live however I want and my God will supply all my needs. And I'm going to tell you, you don't understand this verse. I think the thrust of this verse can be summarized by answering three questions. What does God promise? God says, I, through the Apostle Paul, will meet your needs. Okay, and let me say this quickly. Okay, it in no way supports the doctrine, which I believe is an abominable doctrine of the prosperity gospel. That says, give so you can get. Okay, which makes giving really a crass form of greed. Okay? Tell the Apostle Paul that his generosity led to great riches in his life. Okay? Because there is a teaching in our country today that says if you give, God will make you prosperous and rich. 
I don't think that it has anything to do with what this text is saying. Okay, I think it rips it out of context and treats it very unfaithfully. What does God promise? God promises that he will meet your basic needs. It's Psalm 23.1 all over again, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? That's God's promise. That's what, that's what David clung to in the midst of his struggles. What did he say? God is my shepherd. That being the case, God will meet my needs. So what Paul's teaching is not new. It's the setting in which he places it that is new. I believe it means that God will meet your physical needs. I believe based on chapter 4 and verse 7, that God will meet your emotional and spiritual needs also. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep and guard your hearts. He will meet your needs when you practice joyful generosity. That's his promise. Who is the promise made to? Okay, I think this is the key of this text. Who is this promise given to? It is given to joyfully generous believers in Philippi. Okay, so to pull this out of context, it says it applies to believers that aren't generous is a fallacy. Okay, it's a promise from God that I will meet whatever needs come into the life of someone who is faithful to me in the use of his or her resources. I think we can say it means this. Those who are generous to God will find that God is generous to them. Okay, I think that's the minimum promise that you can pull out of this text. If I am generous to God, help to meet the needs of others when they come up on the radar of my life, God's promises, I will meet your needs. But then I have to ask this question. The why question. Why does God do this? Because it, the setting is this. People in Philippi had more than they needed or had what they needed and sacrificed from it to meet the needs of the Apostle Paul in prison. Okay, that's what's happening here. So they've given up resources. What does God do? And I challenge you to put God to the test in this. I think it's Proverbs 3. God says, test me in this and see if I won't open the the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. Okay, what is it? They took from their meager resources and they collected them together, put them in the hands of Epaphroditus and then later, or Timothy and then later Epaphroditus, and they sent it off to Paul. What did God do? Well, they got back to the resources, and what did they find? They find that God had resupplied them for a new opportunity to serve him. I think the purpose of this promise is something like this. When we take the resources, not simply financial, but also talents, time, treasure, relationships, take the resources that God has poured into your life, start to deploy them, and watch what God does. Watch what he does. As you begin to free your grip on things and you begin to deploy them. You know what God does? God will always replenish so that you can do more of the things that he's called you to do. I believe that to be the primary thrust of this text. In the context of generous giving to meet the needs of others, my God will supply all your needs so that you can do all the work that God has called you to do. I think that's what Paul's saying to the church in Philippi. As you're faithful with the resources that God gives you, Philippi, God is going to open up the windows of heaven. He's going to pour more into your life so that you can do more for Him. And here's what you will begin to find. You will begin to find a joyful reciprocity in your relationship with God. And it it is a powerful thing. Because it's not, I'm giving so I can get more so that I can be enriched in my life. It's no. 
God wants me to free my resources into his work, into the lives of those that are in need, so that he can replenish my resources, so that I can have more and more joy like he has. God so loved the world joyfully that he what? He gave his only son. What does Jesus say? Go and do that. Go and give your life. And God will replenish. Why? Not so you can sit back and say, okay, it's my turn. Okay, because that's what we tend to think, isn't it? Okay, I'll sacrifice this and hopefully God gives it back. And I think the answer from Scripture is God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ so that you can continue to do the things that he has called you to do. And when you do them, they are a pleasing sacrifice that rises up to our Father in heaven. Our giving is to be done in the likeness in which God gave to us his Son. He gave his Son to us freely and abundantly. Jesus gave himself freely and abundantly. And he says to you and I, go and do what I did. Proverbs 21, 13 says this. It says, if a man shuts up his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be heard. If a man shuts up his ear to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be heard. I think that's the principle here in reverse. When the generous cry out to God for help, God helps. He has given a promise. I will meet your needs. And so I give you this challenge. Will you go and like God, like Jesus, like the Spirit, will you go and be generous and begin to experience a life of reciprocity where you give to God. He pours back into your life. He increases your opportunities to give to others and see it in this new light. This promise that God will meet your needs. Realizing that all of our giving for us as Christians, as we come to the Lord's table, all of our giving is a reflexive response to the greater gift of God. It is a reaction. It is a response to the generosity that God has given to us. One writer said it this way. He said, as thunder follows lightning, so giving follows grace. When God's grace in Jesus touches you, when it impacts you, when it amazes you, generosity will always follow. May God help us to love like he loves May we, as we come to the Lord's table, have this verse run through our mind. He, God, did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How will he, not through him, freely give us all things? I mean, if he gave you Jesus as the redeemer of your sinful soul from your brokenness and sin and shame, won't he through him freely, generously give you everything you need to do the work that he has put before you. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe a generous heart begins at the cross. A heart that is touched to freely give has been touched by the giving of Christ. And when it touches you, it will change you and you will enter into this cycle of reciprocity with God, which is storing up for you treasure in heaven so that when you get, get to the end of your life, you will look forward not backward, because your treasure has been laid up in heaven. That can only happen 
to a generous heart. God, help us. Help us by the prompting of your spirit to be sensitive to the opportunities that you give us to give freely. And then to live in light of this promise, to be able by faith to freely distribute our resources. Because you promise us that when we do that in a spirit-led way, you will meet all our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ. And so this morning, Lord, as we end our service, we come to the table. We come to the communion table.